Welcome to Church in the North, a podcast by ministry leaders and for ministry leaders. I'm your host, Rob Chartrand, Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College. And in the studio this morning, I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Dresser, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Rob. And none other than Dan Goddard, Lead Pastor of Victory Church in Moose Jaw. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Well, guys, uh, I'd like to say a a joyful, happy New Year's to both of you. We are um, airing this podcast on January the 8th. Happy New Year to you, too. It was a great Christmas holiday, wasn't it? (laughs) Like, I had so much fun. Um, Eating turkey, hanging out with uh, friends and family and coworkers. It's just an amazing Christmas holiday. (laughs) New Year's Eve, I stayed up really late with a lampshade on my head. No, none of this is true. Uh, We're actually pre-recording this uh, for our viewers uh, because we want to take a long break over the holidays. Yeah. So what, what's the date today? It's uh, uh, it's December 13th. December 13th. Yeah. So uh, if the rapture happens or, um, you know, I don't know, something really bad happens in Canada, and like, I don't know, gas prices go up. Um, yeah, we'll just pretend that it's not real, right? So we'll just pretend that this is New Year's. So for our listeners, uh, thank you for humoring us as we talk about... Uh, New Year's uh, in the New Year. Yep. In the New <laughs> That's Year. Not New, New Year's Year. in the New Year. <laughs> uh, so, guys, are you into New Year's resolutions? Um, have you guys, uh, do you guys do that sort of a thing? Uh, Jeff, what about you? You seem like a guy that maybe, maybe doesn't do New Year's resolutions. No. Uh, can I share my New Year's resolutions uh, pastor joke, though? Okay. <laughs> right. So, um, noisy children are like New Year's resolutions, they should all be carried out. <laughs> Um, okay. But anyway, but I recommend that, like, don't use that from, from the pulpit, that, uh, especially oh, if there is a noisy child. so much you can say about that. Um, but yeah. But uh, I actually, my, for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, my family has had an, uh, an annual general meeting for our family. Wow. And part of that wow. annual general meeting is that we all set goals for the year and we share the goals with the uh, with each other, okay. and then at the at next year's annual general meeting, we review, we review those goals my, and we my. see how we, wow. you know, how we did. Yeah. Do, yeah. You, do you bring a gavel to these general meetings? Uh, we, we actually do you use the, Robert's rules of order. Yeah, the, the, the first time that we did it, we. Um, <laughs> Uh, we actually had the meeting at the church boardroom and like with, and the boys wow. were, were little, like they were, um, you know, elementary school and, and we made it a, like an official business meeting with a, with an agenda. And wow. so, so, yeah, so we would start with a, you know, prayer and then a devotion yeah. and, yeah. uh, and then we would do the goal setting and sort of sharing the goals and recap from last year's. Mm. Uh, then uh, I would make like a recap video of the, you know, the photo highlights of, of all the things oh my. that we did in the previous wow. year. Uh, and then we would plan out our, like our summer vacation, like the things that we wanted to do. Did yeah. we want to go camping or did we want to try this or something else? So we would work on that all together. And then we would go out for a, for a nice dinner afterwards. Oh <laughs> wow. Uh, Okay, so you're you have adult children now. Are you still doing this, or have you cut the apron strings on that? Well, we are, yeah, we're figuring that out okay. because because okay. um, yeah, it, it is different, uh, you know, with adult children. So we're, uh, yeah. but but uh, we're still going to do something, but it's probably not going to mm. be quite so mm. um, quite so regimented. Yeah. There, yeah. There's still 
uh, desire for for Dad's recap video of the, right. of the year. I'm sure. Uh, at least at least Pearl wants me to. And my wife wants me to do it. So. I just I just can't wait till they have spouses and the spouses have to come in and give their plans well, as well. Yeah, that, that's and, where we're. At. This, is the first, and, this is the first. This is the first annual general meeting with a uh, an in law with a daughter in law. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And, and we don't know how. I mean, she's already I think reeling from just discovering how <laughs> weird her in laws are. So we, we might have to pull back a little bit on on this particular exit. Do you leave like an agenda item for new business in case there's anything from the floor that people want to bring up, or is it like uh, no, a pretty it's, tight it, agenda? It's, it's a standing yeah. uh, agenda. Okay, yeah. so so we it uh, it doesn't change much year to year. <laughs> wow. So yeah, man. Uh, what happens if they fail to meet their goals? Do you do you like shame them in the meeting, or do you? Um, it, so everyone <laughs> is. Is there um, a performance review? Uh, you know, everyone sets their own goals, and then they, everyone evaluates their own seven-point Likert goals. scale. Is that how you? And do it? and so, uh, and, and of course, in the course of a year, often these these goals change. But um, I wonder if your allowance could get like a raise or deduction. <laughs> oh, actually, that's another thing that we would talk about. We would we would talk about a, a, a lot, the allowance. That's a, oh, so man. that one uh, with adult children. Thankfully, we don't have to pay that allowance yeah, anymore. Yeah. Uh, but that is something that we would that we would talk about. Wow. Okay. So well, good for you guys. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm actually warm to this idea. I just so I'm kind of regretting that my my kids are now married yeah. and, and beyond. I'm, the I'm like, same. I feel ashamed. I could turn back time. Yeah. I just think absolutely. This guy's blown it out of the water here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not really one for New Year's Eve resolutions or New Year's Day resolutions. New Year's Eve resolutions. Yeah, New Year's By the end of tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think I, because I, I just goal plan all the time. Like right. I, and so I just like, why do I have to wait till December 31st to do this thing? You know, and it's probably, a, you know, culturally, maybe it's pretty monumental. I mean, I just, yeah, for me, it's, it's kind of weird that, um, well, so many people, I think part of it is my, I'm just, I, I. We live in a culture where people buy gym memberships on right. January 1st, and yeah, then yeah. within three months, they stop using them yeah. kind of thing. So yeah, maybe that's why I'm a little reticent to do New Year's Day resolutions. Dan, do you yeah, do I, Well, I never have. Like, I grew up without that being a yeah. real emphasis in, in yeah. my life. And uh, But in the last few years, I've started setting goals. And I've, I've, I usually have done some kind of journaling just to reflect on the year and, yeah. and think about the future. I'm certainly praying, like, about what God might have mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Uh, uh, lately. Actually, one of my kids started having a, a verse for the year and sort of like okay. a theme. Like, yeah, yeah. And so I, I adopted that the last little bit. Um, but yeah, the last few years I, I do, I set like a few health goals and mm-hmm, a few spiritual mm-hmm. goals. And yeah. and uh, they, they actually, it's, it's been helpful. I actually enjoy, I, I don't know mm. if it connects too much to New Year's, but I, I do it around New Year's and it's... Yeah, yeah. But well, uh, I, I just, again, I just think what, what Jeff does is phenomenal like that yeah. is over the top and to do it as a family so there's accountability usually Man. my goals are just myself and then i'll share them with my i don't even want to say what i do and, anymore it's yeah. so piddly yeah 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 you guys are lame yeah yeah man yeah well this year i'm going to make a resolution to make a resolution um, okay and uh i'll get that on the agenda this resolve week. to be more yeah. resolved that's right yeah okay. yeah um, I'll sit Karen down and uh, she and I will sit and we'll walk through an agenda together and watch a video together. And yeah, I'm, I can do that. Yeah. Well, there's apps that just do those videos for you anyway. Right. 
Yeah, I mean the video production is basically I go <laughs> I go to my photos on my on my Mac and uh, and drag them all into the you know make a presentation. There's not yeah. too much. I'm just gonna play my to Spotify re- though, rewind. And though last just year all the music I, I did to. compose a theme song oh. <laughs> with lyrics and everything for the for wow. the video. So. <laughs> uh, but which I instantly regretted because now that I've set the expectation for that that amount of effort. Wow. Well, uh, I know it's December, but let's talk about January and February. January and February can uh, can be pretty dreary months for Canadians. I mean, it's cold. You're like, will this winter ever end? Mm-hmm. I can't wait for spring. Mm-hmm. Of course, spring doesn't happen in our area until like May or June, but uh, it can be pretty sad as well. So that seasonal affective disorder. Um, what do you think churches and church leaders could be focusing on during these months? Any thoughts on that? Dan, what do you, what do you guys do? Yeah, I mean, January actually... Uh, has that sense of goal setting and a new year. And mm-hmm. so I think when you focus that direction, um, it, yeah, I haven't found January as tough for our, our folks. Yeah. February for sure. I mean, mm. it, and I, for us, I think it just means acknowledging it. Yeah. You know, instead of hiding and pretending everything's good or, you know, just to say, hey, you might be struggling and mm. this this might be hard for you. And to, to tell our own stories of, uh, you know, discouragement, depression, those yeah. kind of things. Yeah. Um, that's been helpful uh, to encourage people to have community around that, share with each other strategies. Do you do vitamin D? You know, do you do right. this or that? Yeah. yeah. Do you, you know, how do you find exercise helps? And just to encourage those conversations. Mm. I wouldn't say an over focus, though, that the other side would be. You know, if you just sort of like, February is so depressing. Oh, like, yeah. let's all like persevere. Eeyore. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So that, that'd be my general hmm. advice hmm. or take on it. Yeah. What's your take on that, Jeff? Uh, we need more mission trips to the Southern Hemisphere. During, uh... <laughs> no, no. I think like uh, those months Eco-tourism. are a spiritual battle. There, there's no doubt right. uh, yeah. about that. And I know when the weather starts, you know, we have a couple warm days and my spirits lift and I... I am tempted to think like, oh man, I I am uh, I must be growing spiritually because I I but I realize I'm just an amoeba. It's just response to to stimulus. The yeah. temperature goes yeah. up and I get happier. Yeah. And when it goes down, I'm I'm more sad. But but yeah, it, it is a like I said, a spiritual battle to stay um, to stay positive and to be um, and to be focused on all of the you know, the spiritual blessings that we have and, uh, and to, you know, to look forward in hope. I mean, one of the things I look mm-hmm. forward to in hope is the day that I will be like, we get up pretty early to start church. Yeah. A- and when, when it's not pitch black, yes, you're uh, when you're getting up early to go to church, yeah. that is a, that is a joyous day. That is a milestone that I do look forward to. Yeah. I drove to Saskatoon yesterday, uh, like at nine o'clock and the sun was coming up mm-hmm. and then I drove home right after with some meetings at like four o'clock, the sun was coming down. I'm like, yeah. wow. Yeah. This short is, day. yeah. yeah. Uh, so just, we're just about a week away from yeah. winter solstice here. And then, and then the days are going to get longer. Oh, wait, but for our listeners, it's January 8th. Ignore that last statement, right? Yeah. Well, and there is ways I think you can teach into those things, right? Talk about hope and talk about suffering. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, th- these are uh, wonderful parts of the uh, how the gospel plays out yeah. in our lives. You know, I had it in mind when I was planting uh, our previous church cross point is I was going to buy like four or five sun lamps and just have them in the yeah. lobby for people yeah, to, yeah. To, to medicate. Yeah. And then uh, I was going to hand out like vitamin D with communion. Yeah. Uh, so. so I, I personally use a, a sun lamp, like I, or not right. a sun lamp, but I call it a happy lamp. It, yeah. it has those right yeah, yeah. rays. I got it on Amazon and yeah. uh, I actually use it year round, hmm. but this time of year, it's, it's part of my 
like my devotional morning. You know, I I get up, turn on the lights, flip on the yeah. lamp, and then get my coffee and yeah. yeah. And so it's it's good to even share stuff like that one with another, right? Yeah. Just yeah. Especially if you're a person who works inside during the day and there's not much daylight, and then you you know you go to work in darkness, you go home in I darkness. I think I'd be even sadder if I worked outside during January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but here, I mean, even just to have a window like the, some light. in Saskatchewan yeah. for our listeners yeah. who don't know Saskatchewan, I mean, it's it can be like forty below, but beautifully right. lit, the sunshine. like the sunshine, yeah. and then in the white snow. So it's great for that for getting that vitamin D. But you don't want to step outside; it's just <laughs> terrible. You're not going to go for a walk. So, um, yeah, I mean, and do you, do you guys do like a New Year's um, series off the top? Like I, I, I think in our, I've done like a preaching series, maybe, maybe just only like two or three weeks. That's kind of talking about resolution or new, you know, I, we did one, I think we got it from Life Church. you in five years. So yep. we got the idea from them and did three weeks on, you know, forecasting your life. Who do you want to be in five years and, and, and walking through that? Right. Um, but then we start another series after that. Usually, actually, I find that January, February is a good time moving up to Easter to do like a book series for the church. Yeah. Like like we've preached through like, say, smaller epistles like Philippians or Ephesians or something like that and and walk through that or, you know, different stories. Um, do, you, do you guys have any strategies that uh, you think through in, in January, February? I mean, we do often a season of prayer. So often the focus right. is prayer. Yeah. And uh, one of the things we tell our churches, as the year goes spiritually, so goes the year. Mm. So, mm. you know, focus on your faith life and your yeah. spiritual life. Um, so that's that would be sort of usually our January focus. Yeah. Sometimes we do tie it into New Year's and goal setting and, and that you in five years and those yeah. kind of things. Um, and then, yeah, I actually agree. I, we often look at book books. Uh, after that, usually yeah. end of January, February. Yeah. So yeah. that's, but sometimes relationship series in February too. That's mm. another option. Around Valentine's yep. Day, that yeah. famous Christian holiday. Yeah. Um, for everybody except the singles. Yeah. <laughs> so Sometimes there's an openness to a stewardship series when that Christmas visa bill arrives. <laughs> ah, yes. yeah, yeah. You got to wait long enough though until that visa bill gets paid off. Otherwise it's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a scud missile. It does not last. Um, it takes a deep deep dive. Well, hey, our, our guest this week, this January 8th, is yeah. Kyle Harnett. He is the lead pastor of Foothills Alliance Church in Calgary, Alberta. And uh, we're going to be talking about ministry transition because he transitioned from uh, church planter uh, to leading a, a mega church. And uh, we're going to talk about change management and uh, mobilizing the church for mission. Uh, and we're going to get into his his doctoral thesis and what, what he's discovered nice. um, in the process. So we're going to get deep into that, and I think our listeners will find it both inspiring and and helpful. So thanks for joining us this morning, guys, on this beautiful January morning. Great to be here, Rob. (laughs) See you next week. See ya. Well, hey, we're excited to have Kyle Harnett here. He is the lead pastor of Foothills Alliance uh, Church in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, Kyle Harnett, welcome to Church in the North. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you and I go way back. Um, it, we've had similar church planting types of journeys. Uh, I think even our churches, in some ways, were very similar in terms of their original ethos and DNA. So you, you're, you, I know you um, primarily as a church planter. You planted cross uh, capstone about a dozen years ago in Calgary, um, but 
recently, you've just jumped into a new role. You have become the lead pastor of Foothills Alliance Church in Calgary. And if people don't know, Foothills is a little bit more, uh, a much larger uh, congregation. It's, it's, it's different size and scope. Um, so mm-hmm. the roles may be similar, different, and that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about that transition. Um, but before we do that, let's go back to Capstone. But let's start back early in your church planting journey. Uh, first of all, talk to us, Kyle, what compelled you to plant a church? Um, how did you get into that? And then maybe tell us a little bit more about Capstone, what's unique about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Rob. There's there's probably two prongs to that answer. Uh, the, the first one is really practically, uh, which was this. I had been a youth pastor for many years, mm-hmm. and I had this heartbeat to see my friends come to faith. I didn't grow up going to Christian school, uh, and I, for a number of years, had walked away from the faith. And because of that, some of my nearest and dearest friendships were with people who have no faith background at all. Mm-hmm. And I remember being a part of churches that were wonderful churches and going, I don't know if my friends would ever fit here. Like, even mm-hmm. if they prayed to receive Christ, I don't know if the culture between where they exist and the church culture, not kingdom culture, but church culture, if they can actually bridge that gap. And this started to just create a bit of a, a passion and desire for church planting. So that's sort of the strategic, want to reach the lost for Christ. There was a neighborhood in the city where tens of thousands of people lived. There was no church that was a Bible-believing church. Um, and because of that, we wanted to target this one area. The second part is actually just spiritual. I had, I had this encounter with the living God. And so... Uh, you know, with a broad view of listeners, which I know many of you come from all kinds of theological backgrounds, uh, one of my core convictions is this, God still speaks. He speaks mm-hmm. absolutely through the Scripture, 100%. But by His Holy Spirit, He also speaks to us personally and individually. And so I had this burning bush moment when I was 20. So uh, I'll give the quick story. Uh, I had this dramatic return to Christ, or some might even say, "You, Kyle, I don't know if you were a Christian before. And I go, I don't know. The great news is Jesus mm-hmm. knew, and Jesus mm-hmm. is really gracious and wonderful. And I had this dramatic uh, return to Christ, and I started reading the Bible cover to cover, and I tried to make it my ambition to read the Bible 10 times cover to cover in one year. So I was reading the Bible about two and a half hours a day. I got through about six or seven times. Anyways, the one thing I noticed was this that the Bible in both Old and New Testament gives witness to this fact that God speaks, that He speaks to us mm. personally, individually, through the Scriptures, yes and amen. It's our rule of faith. It's the thing that keeps us safe, but He also speaks to us yeah. personally. So I had a burning bush moment where uh, God told me that I would plant a church in the city of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And so actually from a very young age, I knew that I would do that. Um, I didn't share that widely or broadly at all, though, because Sometimes the personal interactions we have with God, they can be, they're, they're beautiful, they're precious, they're sacred, and they're kind of scary and a little bit odd, and mine uh-huh. was. And so so that that's sort of the two reasons why I started a church. Yeah. Well, what was what would you say is unique about Capstone? How would you describe it? Um, every church plant is, has similarities, but they also have unique differences. So when we, we started Capstone Church, I went through a discernment process through an organization uh, that was called C2C. It was a church planting movement in yeah. Canada, multi-denominational. And one of the tasks that they had you do is they had you pause 
And this is, a, this is great for, for anyone who's listening in your current ministry or your aspirations for ministry. Here, here's an incredible question. Had you pause and, and take an hour and with loads of prayer and loads of scripture, but also with all the faith you could muster, go, God, if this really went for your glory, if this went well, what would it look like? And so my wife and I, we were praying, we were reading scripture, and here's the thought that came to mind. It would look like starting a church that would start 100 churches. Hmm. And so, and that that's, that's wild. Like, you know, we're Canadians, so one of the things I love about our American brothers and sisters in Christ is that they just dream big. In Canada, we dream reasonable. And and this was out of like this was way out of the blue for me. This is so much bigger than yeah. I ever thought. And uh, so one of the the foundational ethoses of Capstone was this: we will be a church that will plant churches that plant churches. Now everybody hmm. says that, but by God's grace, we actually had the privilege of starting a church within three years. Um, which I mean, a whole bunch of the data and research will tell you: if you do it within three years, it will be part of your culture. If you do it after that, it's going to be harder, yeah. much harder to do. And then, and then uh, we planted a second church out of it. So there's three churches that got going, um, like two years later. Yeah. So five years in, I was, I was uh, the pastor captain for eight years, Rob. And so it's it's nine now. Yeah. And actually, the first church we planted, a church called Horizon Church here in Calgary, they're actually setting up to plant their church, another church. So, so you know, it's funny. I only got yeah. to see three percent. Of what I believe God might do through this. But actually, I, I'm watching the fourth percent unfold right now. And I know that actually there's many more churches that God wants to start through that church. And so we had just this foundational ethic that it's not about us. It's about multiplying for Christ's sake and for God's mission in our world. And so that was one thing that was unique. Yeah. Another thing is this. We, we said we want to target artists and entrepreneurs. So we had the privilege of of meeting okay. in Capstone, uh, the west side, uh, still meets in a dinner theater in Calgary. So you, on the walls, there's all different mm -hmm. kinds of murals, and the murals change every three months. Uh, sometimes the murals will have pictures of, you know, like the rock band Kiss, because uh, the performance that's ongoing through the week is actually it's not a church building, it's a theater building. Uh, sometimes it will be Greece-themed. Yeah. and. So one of the interesting aspects of the church is this. We had a high value on art, but also a high value on risk-taking. And so we had people who were highly entrepreneurial and people who were more artistic, perhaps, than your average churchgoer. And and we we had the great privilege of seeing, like, over the years, like 60 people come to faith in Christ, baptize them. And I know even this past year, they baptized a ton of adults. And so, so we just had, had some beautiful pieces— there. So multiplication, mm. artists and entrepreneurs, high value on risk-taking, yeah. and then uh, loving the city. So we, we moved into what I call a, a semi-urban or urban neighborhood. So, uh, you know, you have all kinds of diversity when it comes to economics, sociodemographics, age, stage, belief, yeah. and, and a high propensity for density. And so uh, tens of thousands of people, loads of new Canadians, immigrants, refugees, and a lot of upwardly mobile people as well. So it sort of had that urban flavor as well. Yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, you weren't more so a regional drive-in church, but you were were much more local because you were locked in a, to a specific, um, well, a specific neighborhood or specific mm-hmm. region and area. Um, but people weren't coming from all over the city necessarily to be part of your church. You were trying to reach a specific target. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. We again, like I said earlier, we targeted this region on the map, but but it, honestly, it was like a handful of neighborhoods yeah. in a high density area. So you basically you're targeting one yeah. large neighborhood. Yeah. Um, there's no church here. There's no, as far as we can tell, gospel witness that's reaching people for Christ in this neighborhood. And so we want to reach. And we had five five communities that were all small and lumped together to make a larger hole in the city. Yeah. So yeah, we, and, and we started yeah. uh, in a basement with uh, 20 of us and we grew that sucker to 16. We grew that thing down in a couple of months. And so we actually, you know, some, some church plant models have, you get sent out with a, a great core team with a, a great supporting church. And we were not sent out with a core team at all. Uh, we, these were people who, we invited to pray, discern, fast, ask Jesus, hey, are you in? And so we started with a very small group. Um, but we did have great financial partners, and, and yeah. they were incredible and helpful. So, yeah. Well, the value of, though, with starting is with the smaller core is you can inculcate that DNA um, into a group of people that's going to extend over a long period of time. And so, you know, the, the fact that you guys are missional and that you are multiplying as church plants, I mean, that's that's not easy to do. I mean, on, on the one hand, every time people move on, there's a bit of a dying oh. that takes place in order that new new life might happen, right? And also, you you your main campus that's sending loses some good leaders, loses some good artists, right? And then, so you have to continue to build capacity at your local while you're sending out. So, I mean... It's, it's not easy to multiply churches. Um, it, re- it takes a lot of energy and, and a lot of continuous um, growing leaders, developing disciples. Uh, if you're gonna you keep know, it some, going. some people say it's so, like I, I've had the privilege of watching my three sons be born. And you go, I watch my wife labor. And I go, there is in some ways, you go, this is painful yeah. and joyful. And so to any yeah. leader listening out there that goes, hey, I, I want to be a part of planting and starting new churches for for the sake of King Jesus, know this, there's nothing like it in the world. It is, it is one of God's great privileges mm-hmm. to be called to start a gospel witness in an area, whether that's right in your local community or across right. the world. But it's also painful. There's some labor to that. And you do, you, you send away your best leaders mm-hmm. and the best people go. And then you go, all right, it's time to, begin again you know yeah i I was gonna say it's 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 um people need to know the listeners like capstone you weren't a church of a thousand that was multiplying you were you were you're a bit smaller like you were around the 200 barrier is that right so when you when you planted right and so that's a threshold that a lot of churches want to break through but you're getting to the 200 barrier and you're like now instead of breaking through and continuing to grow and multiply we're going to send people up um and so that's that takes a lot of commitment and courage to to make that type and, of and absolute sacrifice. ego death. Like I'm not going to lie to you, Rob. There was times where I'm like, you know, if we didn't start these churches, yeah. <laughs> we'd be beyond 200. And like, if you you know, many of your listeners will be familiar with the literature that if once you break 200, there's sort of a sociological yeah. straight highway to 350. 
and then 350 to 800. This is what the, the literature says. Yeah. Obviously, God's got to bring the growth and the fruit. But from the human side, what we can control, you're, yeah. and, and so we would bump up to 200, and then we'd start a new church. And then we'd start getting momentum and start bumping up to 200, and then we'd start another church. And then, I mean, obviously the pandemic <laughs> threw a wrinkle in there as well. But it, it, was, it was incredible for ego death. Because in the end, you you learn it by living it. Yeah, that it's not about us. It's not about us. We make faith way too much about us, and so it was tremendous. It was wonderful. Uh, one yeah. other fun fun fact that we did when we uh, started with our core team, we were a core team of twenty, and then we grew down to sixteen. And what we said from the very beginning is, we are not yeah. inviting other Christians. This is our team. We have started. Uh, you cannot invite your friends. So we had an anti-church growth movement strategy. I'm not sure it was the best hmm. strategy, but we said this. Uh, here's what you can bring. You can yeah. bring anyone who comes to faith in Christ, and they can become of our church planting mission because we're on a mission to see people one one back to their Lord hmm. and Savior, to be reconciled to God. And so actually our first joiner was uh, a, a young man who was an atheist who gave his life to Jesus, got baptized, and went overseas. And started actually doing mission work. And so that was our very first church growth, was actually somebody coming to faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, now, of course, recently, you um, have been invited to prayerfully consider whether or not you would become the lead pastor of Foothills Alliance Church, and, and you have since accepted that, and you've been over a year into your journey there now. <laughs> But Foothills is a very different church than Capstone. At least it was. It might, you know, and, and I just thought, I want to get you on and talk about that because, I mean, it's a it's a different animal. Um, and and I want to know about that transition a little bit more. So let's start. First of all, how did you come to the decision to take yeah, on the so role the, of Foothills? Uh, the backstory is this. I had a committed to Jesus that I... And I've done this my my whole adult life. I said, Jesus, I'm going to do what you tell me, and I won't change unless you give me stunningly clear direction otherwise. I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. Uh, I'm going to read your word, and then I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to stay where I am. And for me, that was th that's important for me. Mm. Um, and I don't want to disparage anybody who goes, hey, this is my calling and my career. I just know for me. It is so easy to turn career into an idol. So I, I just early on, I just made a commitment. God, I won't go anywhere yeah. unless you tell me. And so I, I had to practice this idea of going, Jesus, you can have my career. Because actually, I have an inheritance waiting in heaven for me that's given by you. And so I actually believed in my heart, Rob, that I would never yeah. leave Capstone. When we started, I thought I'd be there for the rest of my life. I was planning on it. Mm -hmm. We moved. Uh, one minute away from the church, we sold our nice suburban home. We actually we actually moved into a nice duplex, um, but I raised my kids without a backyard. Well, it is a backyard. It's it's big enough to have a dog run. Like mm. it's it's the size of a, a bathroom for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and it was lovely. Yeah. And we thought we'd be there for our whole lives. And so, what had happened was I had. Uh, had finished up my doctoral degree and had sort of asked this question, Lord, what's next? And actually in my prayer and reflection, there was no great sense of leading to a new task, new calling at all. 
And so I just said, I guess, like, what's next is another year at the church I love. And so we staffed for growth. The church was as big as it had ever been. Budget was better than it had ever been. And then what happened was I was approached by a man who I respect immensely. He's mentored many people. And he said, you should apply for the lead pastor role at Foothills. And I said, that's a great idea for someone else. And kind of blew it off. And we had a great lunch after that. Now, then I met another person who said the same thing, not connected to the first. In the end, about four or five different people said, Kyle, you should consider applying for the lead pastor role at Foothills. And my answer was the same every time. But because I have to say, after about five people say the same thing, who I trust, who have wisdom, who love the Lord, read the Bible, and have lived godly, holy lives, I go, maybe I should pray about this. And so in my prayer journal, I remember uh, mm. journaling out questions like this. Jesus, do you want me to apply? And here's what I heard back, Rob. Nothing. Nothing. Crick, crickets. I was reading the word. I'm like, Silent. maybe there's some insight in here about this. <laughs> Nothing. Silence. Now, here was the fascinating part. Uh, in, in various other areas of my life, I sensed the Spirit's leading. Uh, the Scriptures were giving me great insight on direction, wisdom, planning, strategy, insight. So I was hearing from the Lord regularly. It was like there was a clear antenna. But on this one issue, I could hear nothing. Now, some people will say, um, maybe God had nothing to say. Here, here's, here's my interpretation of it. Uh, I, was, I was not able to hear in this area because I had already made a commitment in my heart. In some odd ways, I turned God's call on my life to start Capstone Church into an idol because I loved the people. I loved the mission. And because of that, I, mm. I, don't, I believe God probably was willing to speak to me about it. I don't know if I was willing to hear I, I, um, hmm. Then I expanded the circle. I went to a handful of other people who gave me great insight. And you might even say words from the Lord for me. Uh, one of them said, uh, Kyle, I was processing with him. They were part of the church. And I said, you know, I'm scared that if I leave, what was started will die. Like God's great plan for this church will die. And here's what my, hmm. my friend said to me. He said, Kyle, if the strength of what you built... And then he paused and he said, now we know we don't build the church. Christ builds the church. But he's like, just go with me. If the strength of what you built rests on you staying here forever, then it's not resting on Christ at all. And then he said, if you yeah. leave, yeah. then yeah. what you have built with God's help and what Christ has really built through you, if you leave and it survives, then God gets the credit. Otherwise, you're staying in the way and you're taking all the glory for yourself. And that helped hmm. dislodge hmm. some of this idolatry in my heart, this this center of gravity that was the church. My, my wife was tremendously helpful. There was a, a, a bunch of people. They all said the same thing. You should apply and see what happens. So on my uh, birthday, hmm. my wife and I processed it. I actually spent the dinner with tears in my eyes, which was quite embarrassing. I'm trying to eat a tenderloin steak, and instead I'm just trying to hold back tears. And that night, we sensed, yeah, you know what, I'm going to put my name in, because I can't hear God, but I can hear his people right now. And they're all saying the same thing. And I would be foolish to mm. discard the wisdom of the community of God. And so I applied, and uh, 
the, the process was hilarious because in the process, after I applied, I talked with their uh, the chair of their nominating committee and I told her like, hey, look, I don't want this job. I don't want this job. I am applying out of obedience right. to Christ. <laughs> like I, I have very little interest in this job, except for I love this church. I love Foothill. But I, I, I'm trying to figure out if God's doing something here. And I'm, I, I would be thrilled to serve you if that's God's will. But I love where I'm at. And, and they were so gracious. They, they let me process and just be honest like that. And so ended up going through the interview process. I interviewed. And then my wife and I were heading off on a, I think it was our 14th anniversary. Yeah, our 14th, uh, 13th anniversary. And we were, we were heading to Vancouver, British Columbia. God bless Vancouver. And uh, I told the, the nominating committee, I said, hey, look, I would just love clarity one way or another because I need to care for the church that I'm a part of. If there's a transition coming or if there's a candidating process, candidating, if that's not part of your theological tradition, is basically it's the final step of the discernment process. You're sort of 95% of the way there on both the church's side and your side. And I, I just said to them, I need to know. And if you're if you're done with me, great, because I can go back to my regular life. And so they said, yeah, we'll call you early in the week maybe even as early as Sunday. So candidate Friday, float to Vancouver on Saturday. Sunday, we're, we're in Vancouver. I go, they're not going to call. That's way too quick. But then, then they didn't. Then Monday came by. I'm like, ah, maybe they'll call today. No call. And my heart was still pretty peaceful. It was still, still, I, I was enjoying the peace of Christ. And then Tuesday, <laughs> my heart was starting to just, it's just getting agitated, wondering, curious, and I remember actually starting to feel uh, a sense of relief because I thought, well, it's Tuesday. They haven't called yet. They said early in the week. Probably means it's not me. So that Tuesday night, I was, my wife and I were watching uh, TV just winding down before we went to bed in our the room we were staying in. And she was really into the show. And I was off in prayer in my mind. Like, I'm watching TV. I'm really just praying. And I just say, Lord, I just need to know one way or another. And then... Uh, a remarkable God encounter happened for me. Here's what happened. As I'm lying on the bed next to my wife, pretending to watch mm -hmm. TV, but really deep in my thoughts, doing in them, uh, I felt a million, it felt like a million raindrops. I have no other way to describe it. I know it sounds odd. A million raindrops that felt heavenly, like just all up and down my body. And then as sure as we're talking, Rob, here's what I heard in my head and heart. Uh, it's yours. They'll call tomorrow. Hmm. And in that moment, hmm. I knew that actually I had to go to Foothills because I had no cl clarity otherwise. I was just going through this hmm. process, trying to be obedient, trying to listen to the wisdom and community yeah. of God. And then this moment where Jesus said, you have to go. So it was, it was, it was wonderful and kind of heartbreaking because hmm. I had to leave the people I love most. So then fast forward the next day, Wednesday, uh, we woke up yeah. after my prayer moment. I told my wife, I said, they're going to call today. We got to go. It's for us. Lord spoke to me, which is always kind of a little scary to say because they hadn't called yet. And so we went, we were down in Granville Island, a real hip tourist area of Vancouver. And we're just having a beautiful day. And I'm like, they're going to call. And one o'clock comes by, no call, two, no call, three, no call, four, no call. 
It was five o'clock Calgary time, supper time. I take a nap and I wake up and it's 5.30. It's right smack in the middle of supper time, 6.30 Calgary time, 5.30 Vancouver time. And I woke up and I prayed the simple prayer. Lord, I, I know I heard you. Like I've heard you a handful of times really clear. This is one of them. If they don't call soon, I have no idea what to do with this. And then three minutes later, they called and they said, we want to invite you to come candidate. Hmm. And actually, at that point, I knew the candidating was a formality and that God had asked me to change churches, which was beautiful yeah. and wonderful and terrifying. I love how everyone's discernment process is different. I love how God speaks in different ways to different people um, through so many different means. Um, and mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing that because I think I think some people might say, oh, well, Kyle was just moving up. You know, he was leaving behind this smaller church that was, you know, was, you know, was doing well and all that. But Foothills is a bigger job. You know, he's ladder climbing and all of that. But uh, I wanted you to share that story because I think it's important for people to hear that discernment process and that that in some ways you're almost a reluctant prophet. It's like, no, nah, I don't know if I really want to go here. But uh, at the end of the day, I just want to do what God wants me to do. Um, yeah. one of the things I want to talk about is, uh, kind of the transition of, of leading at Foothills. How has it been leading at Foothills this year compared to say how you would have led at Capstone? How has it changed? How is it similar? Yeah. So a little bit of background, uh, just for, just for the listeners. So Foothills, uh, is a big church by Canadian standards, yeah. um, and, and was doing really well. And my predecessor, the pastor before me, served for 20 years, phenomenal yeah. leader. He, he probably is one of the best pastoral leaders I've ever met. Yeah. Like he, he just oozes shepherd. You just poke him and it's compassion. Yeah. It just comes right out of him. He's just amazing leader. And interestingly, though, uh, I took over um, post-pandemic and post the transition of a 20-year leader who had had a really great right. run. And so he had actually been off staff for a year. We had some of our internal staff, the interim lead pastor, for a year. And so when I arrived, um, the, the church was sort of in this stage of waiting um, and like winnowing. Like it, it, the church had shrunk uh, significantly. Mm -hmm. It was half the size that it, it was prior to the lead pastor's departure, prior to COVID. Yeah, yeah. And so coming in to the church, one of the things that that I, I sought to do immediately was this, was to restore the faith of the community of God. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, this church has people who, who've attended it longer than I've been alive. Right. That's, yeah. that's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of people who have been at this church for 50 plus years. And I go, that's longer than I've been alive by a fair margin. But what I had noticed and observed as I was trying to strategize, God, what do you want me to do? And, and try to use my human brain to go, how do I contribute to this? I was just watching sermons. I was watching their YouTube videos. I was listening to people, interviews, just trying to get a lay of the land. Is this, it seemed like the people had lost hope hmm. that God might do something remarkable with this community of hmm. faith. And I just want to say this to, to those of you who are listening, those of you who listen, you know, maybe even years down the road, uh, it is possible that you right now are in a season where you've lost faith that God might do something remarkable 
for the mission or ministry that you lead. Yeah. And I, I need you to know now in Jesus' name that God is not finished with you yet. Otherwise, he would have told you it's time to move on. Mm. And God is not done with what he started. And there's all these beautiful promises in Scripture that the promises he gave, he will always fulfill. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes we don't see it. Moses doesn't see the promised land. I have not yet seen uh, the capstone network of churches plant 100 churches. And so Foothills, it had seemed observationally that there was just sort of, there was faithful, beautiful, amazing people who were disheartened. Mm -hmm. And so one of the immediate culture shifts I wanted to bring about was simply this. Create a culture of expectancy that God's going to move, that people are going to meet Christ, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm -hmm. And that means we can expect him to do remarkable good through us if we listen, trust, obey, kind of the classic doctrines. Yeah. But uh, functionally, Rob, you asked about strategically, what changed? Uh, you know, there, there are cliches. Actually, so I like to be a contrarian. So here's some cliches you hear about big churches versus small churches. Yeah. You hear big church is like a cruise ship. Small church is like a sea dew. On a sea dew, you can turn left real quick. On a cruise ship, it takes forever to have change. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that. Mm. I think there's, there is some wisdom to that statement. I just think it's overplayed. Uh, I think that leading in a larger organization, sometimes it takes courage. And it, sometimes it takes a unique, uh, you got to collate people's opinions. You've got to win some people on board, including your key staff, key leaders, people who've been there for decades. But actually, I believe this, that Jesus doesn't want our large churches, large organizations to become calcified and boring and useless for his cause. Yeah. I actually think Jesus goes, there's times where I want to move a, a large church quickly. And, and, and when you're leading at a larger scale, there is, the pace can be different. Um, simply because you actually have to disperse power. So in a in a church plant, in a church of yeah, 150, 200, 100, depending if we just plant at a church, uh, in some regards, you can, you can get consensus. Yeah. You can build consensus in an afternoon with 10 phone calls. You talk to all the key stakeholders. Yeah. In a larger church, uh, you can't call 100 stakeholders in one afternoon. In fact, you don't even know who the 100 stakeholders are. And because of that, what you need to do is you need to disperse power to influential, influential people within your staff and within the congregation to go, I need you to go out and get data. I need you to be a council of uh, wisdom, but also consensus building. Yeah. And so one of the ironies of leading a larger church is this. You actually have way less power than you used to in a small church. And that's a that is a dynamic that I... I never anticipated. Right. There you go. Yeah. There's like a handful of things I really, really can influence. And the rest, there's a committee, there's a team, there's people bigger, brighter, smarter, wiser than I am who are making decisions about finance, policy. Uh, so the complexity yeah. means that you have to disperse power. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can move a large organization that has complexity, but you have to manage the complexity to move it. Right. So it's not that you can't shift yeah. it. It's just you need that coalition of leaders. You need a concentric circles of dialogue plan. Um, and, you know, this kind of rebound effect that information goes out, information comes back. You're listening as a leader 
and then you can shift it. But it it does take, yeah, you can't do it in an afternoon with a bunch of phone calls. It does take, um, <laughs> yeah, some some planning and some, you know. But if you just did it like you did with the small church plant, well, you, that thing would blow up, right? Because people got plans, they got budgets, they've got volunteers in place and whatnot and different, yeah, ministries intersecting, like, yeah, so it, it is a different animal to lead for sure. Like, but mm-hmm. but what you're saying is, it can change and it can move. So so I mean, what are some of the things that you were you were seeking to change, like in the in the first year? So one of the things my uh, predecessor, who's a dear friend, that he did really well. He was so wonderful at, at teaching topically. He was so great at that. Yeah. And. One of the things I noticed as I just chatted with people is they're like, you know, it'd be great to just work through a book of the Bible. Hmm. And you, go, you go, what's strategic about that? You go, well, a number of things. So so we've started into the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in it now for 14 months, okay. which has been as long well, as how far, my you, how far have you gotten after 14 months? We are in chapter 8. <laughs> so so we got I'll come more back to, to you in four years and see how if you got through <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and and honestly, that's been one of my philosophy of ministries. And I just want to say this. I, I think that you can preach topically and biblically, and that's amazing. Yeah. I think you can preach verse by verse. That's amazing. I'm not, I I'm not here to beat anybody up. Yeah. But this is just one of the philosophies I had. And part of the reason for that was this. Uh, Foothills, and I've told them this, one of the kindest churches. It's the kindest church I've ever been a part of. Hmm. Authentic, godly kindness. And that comes from all of the discipling and all the work of all the leaders who've come before me. And I just honor that. And one of the shadow sides of kindness is niceness. Mm. And niceness means we don't talk about difficult issues. So strategically, part of what what I I sense this church might need and had heard just from dozens of people was simply this. Uh, Let's just dig into God's Word, and God's Word's going to touch on subjects that we don't like to talk about, like divorce, like hell, like human sexuality, uh, like mission, like giving. And because of that, like, you run through the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, oh, man, there was was like a handful of weeks where we're talking about like rage and anger and murder. Yeah. And then the very next week, it's like lust, adultery, and divorce. And you go, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Like these are not Christmas card verses, but it did cause us to confront some of our deep desire and need for courage. See, Jesus is the most kind human being. And obviously he's more than a human being. He's yeah. the son of God. But Jesus is the most kind human who's ever lived. But he's also the most courageous. And so part of what we as a church are leaning into and growing is courage. And I believe that that courage is absolutely essential for the days ahead for the Church of Jesus Christ, especially in Western culture. I, we need more courage than we've had, and I, I believe that that will be necessary for the days ahead. So that, that was one strategic change. A couple other strategic changes, uh, we we uh, multiplied services, so the church had shrunk quite a bit. Yeah. And, uh, it had rebounded by a few hundred people. When, when I arrived, and then we had hundreds of new people who've come now. So we're, we're back to two services, but we did we did end our Saturday evening service. Okay. And so uh, that was a choice that was made in the pandemic, um, but for now we've chosen not to bring that back. And if we do bring that back, uh, here's a strategic change. I know most of the listeners are leaders on this podcast. Uh, so people have asked, Kyle, when will we bring back or will we bring back 
uh, an evening service. And I, you know, the team and I, we've chatted about it. And it is likely that if we do, we will do so on a Sunday evening. And the, the rationale is simply this. I got three kids. Right. And in Saturday services, I know lots of you do them or Friday evening services. And God bless you. That's wonderful. But I go, I'm the type of personality and many on my team are the type of personality you go, you tell me I got to work in five hours. You might as well have told me I had to work now. That That's just how my mind works. So it's hard to just go home and be dad. Yeah. It's hard to go home and be a great husband, knowing that I'm going to work in a handful of hours and speak to hundreds of people uh, in one service and, and to not start drifting towards there. And so that that is the tip of an iceberg of work we've been doing here to go. We actually need to make decisions that for our leadership team, including volunteers, lay ministry leaders, that we they go, I feel really healthy, really healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that Saturday night service is a challenge for churches that do it for the volunteers trying to, especially if you yeah. have bands that are going to play all services, right? So they're basically putting in a 14-hour work week on the weekend to, yeah. to make that happen. And that's that's difficult to do for a lot of them. Um, I guess, you. I mean, if you do a Saturday, Sunday evening service, they're still going to be there for that. But at least it's they have that extra day, right? And One day. Now know. that I'm not pastoring, and now that I'm working Monday to Friday, full days and sometimes evenings, <laughs> um, and then I'm volunteering in a, my local church, uh, I realize that one day off is pretty important. It's pretty precious, yeah. right? So, um, you know, I, 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 I'm on the other side of it and thinking, yeah, Saturday night services are, uh, they're a big ask of your, of your pastors, yeah. but also of your volunteers. What, one other strategy, I mean, there's loads. I could talk yeah, yeah, lots. Yeah. I could talk about team culture dynamics. Um, one of the strategies that has shifted or that we've begun implementing is actually just rebuilding what I'll call missional capacity within the church. Yeah. Uh, to use simpler terms, uh, how, how do we start creating a culture where we actually see ourselves as ambassadors for Christ, gospel witnesses? Yeah. H- how do we do the work of sharing the greatest news about the greatest person in history to a world that is dying in stress and anxiety and materialism and consumerism and deconstruction? How do we do that? And how do you do it with a thousand plus people? And and so I've got a bit of a roadmap and and Rob, I know we'll transition whenever you're ready. But this is sort now, of brother. What I, Go for it. What I did what I did my doctoral work on uh, is this the first thing, and it goes all the way back to that concept of faith, was simply this. We said our church needs to become attractive again. Hmm. Here's what I mean by that. When people walk into your large group gathering, this is this is baby step one. Do they really encounter the Lord? Do they experience the living God? Is it the expectation of your church, your ministry? So even if you lead, you know, Rob, even in, in your area, in the academy, there's two approaches to how you might teach a class. There's the approach where you go, we have content that we need you to learn, to digest, and inculcate, and and then use in your everyday life. Wonderful. And then there's a second approach, or maybe just the icing on the cake and the sprinkles, where you go, what if they did all that and then encountered the living God? Yeah. And so part of what we, we have done 
So there's there's four phases, I believe, in a, a church transitioning to become a church that is actually like bearing much fruit and lots of gospel witness. We're on like baby step one and two. Um, but the first one is simply this. Do people encounter the living God? Now, how do you do that? That's, that is a great question. How do you take your Sunday gatherings and you go, we sing songs, we preach from the Bible, we pray, we prayed beforehand, we got great service, all that fun stuff, all the technical details. How do you help them encounter Jesus? Hmm. And one of the, the learnings I've had over the years leading Capstone, starting a church for lots of people who are skeptical and outside of faith, seeing many come to faith, was simply this. Now you create opportunities. You create opportunities for them to invite God to speak or move or change or identify. Let me let me give you a really simple example from my life. Now, the other day I was sitting with a friend of mine, and I he, he's just come to faith. Just come to faith. But here's what I said. I said, talk to him about different forms of prayer. Uh, I'll make up a name for him. I'll call him Rick. I said, Rick, a couple of different forms of prayer. Here, here's one. There's, there's a type of prayer called contemplative prayer. Now, lots of people freak out when we talk about contemplative prayer. So I want to put it in a really biblical framework. Here's what. Here's the best biblical framework for contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer is doing 1 John 3. 1 John 3, 1. Dear children, how, how beautiful is it we call children of God. And that is what we are. John, lots of commentators will go, John's like exploding, it seems, with like joy and hope because you go, he, he's just dwelling on this truth. Mm. So I just said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take 60 seconds. I invite you if you're listening, listening along, 60 seconds. And if you're here and you've given your life to Christ, here's what you need to know. That your Father in heaven loves you with perfect love, that the Creator loves you perfectly. And all I want you to do right now is sit in that love as deeply as you know how open your heart up none of us know how to do this perfectly and just go he loves me mm -hmm. he loves me with a perfect undying unending love and so we sat there with my friend rick for 60 seconds and then his eyes teared up and he i mean he he's he's got all kinds of fun tattoos he has no church background and he goes yeah that is remarkable and then I said, now think about our friends. we got a friend, we call her Vicky, lagged by anxiety. And I said to my friend Rick, I said, Rick, imagine if Vicky knew Christ and then sat in the love of God for her through Jesus for five minutes a day. What do you think would happen to her anxiety? He, got, he went, she would be such a different person. Right. Like yeah. such a different person. Yeah. And I go, that's, that's what we do. That's what we try to help people encounter, the living God. Not, not simply the God of the Bible. Yes and amen, the God of the Bible, but the living God of the Bible. We want them to encounter. So in our gatherings yeah. as a church, we go, if we do our job right, we preach the gospel, we preach the text, we preach for application, and then we preach with an invitation. Okay, so respond. To encounter yeah. the living God. Yeah. Not, no, that, I just want to clarify, though. It's not just, yeah. Not there an altar a call, not a, yeah, yeah, not a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, but uh, right, right now, right where you are. That's right. Yeah. 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 But an application that is actually responsive in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah. And, and that that's step one. And so, you know, a lot has been said on the attractional church, you know, where you do a, a great big carnival and yeah. you'd invite the whole neighborhood. And, you know, one of the one of the findings, at least for for people who have no faith background, that generally isn't working to reach people who are outside of faith. Yeah. Not, it's not working. Uh, they go, thanks for the carnival. Thanks for the hot dog. I'm leaving. Right. Now, I don't want to disparage it totally because some people are still finding fruit. And and look, the best, the, you know, you know, what's a good missionary strategy. The one that leads people to Jesus in, in healthy, godly, biblical ways. Yeah. But this one, you know, it's lacking efficacy. But but here's what's interesting. When when people start encountering the living God through what you do, that becomes unbelievably attractive. Yeah. And it's actually the ministry prototype of Jesus. Jesus began by by having people encounter him full blast. John 1, Nathaniel experiences him full blast. Andrew, uh, yeah. Yeah. Philip, they, they all go and they go, we got we, we to invite people to this. Come and see. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You know, I, so. and, and I think large churches can fall into the trap or, or the experience of, of being a, attractional, you know, bring a friend on your arm, bring them to church. Um, we'll do a great sermon series. That's going to be very practical and applicable to their lives and whatnot. And, um, and, and, and I think that that is a strategy that has worked in the past. Um, it's maybe a more challenging strategy now. And, and partly is because, uh, our culture is changing and the, the demographics of the average person um, in your neighborhood is is different. Uh, I, I know I know you and I have talked about this, and this is going to lead us towards your you know, your dissertation project. But I mean the 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 reality is that there are there are a number of people. If I can oversimplify it, and I will oversimplify it for purposes of explanation, but um, there are a number of people who would be unchurched versus dechurched, right? So. The de-churched mm-hmm. would be those who have a Christian memory or a church experience in the background, or they're a CNE Christian, you know, Christmas and Easter Christian or whatnot. And um, and so the starting point in conversation with them might be different because they they do have some common nomic language and nomenclature, and and there might be an openness to the gospel. Unless they got burned, then I mean, then mm-hmm. running away from the gospel. But but that group might fit better with an attractional strategy. Um, this is at least how the the um, you know, how we commonly understand it. And then the unchurched are those who have no Christian memory, no Christian background. They don't know Moses from Judah. And uh, mm-hmm. they, they, what they might know are just some of our cultural um, understandings of Christianity, which is um, what they might see in popular media or whatnot. Or, um, and for them, the, the churches are largely irrelevant. So if you invite me, why would I come? And secondarily, they might even have a negative uh, understanding of, of the church, right? So um, the idea of being a church, a missional church is to, instead of inviting people to church, attracting them to church, it's instead to extract the people of God out of the church on mission in the world, right? So um, so to reach those people who would never come to church if you invite them, instead go out uh, as the church and figure out ways to develop, you know, missional communities or missional enterprise or, or whatnot to to reach that, those folks. So a lot of the our historic attractional approach has really targeted a very specific portion of the population and done it effectively, um, who have maybe more of a, a churched memory or, or background. Um, 
So is that, first of all, has that been the history of maybe of foothills? And that's not a bad thing. I mean, Jesus uses it, right? Um, and secondarily, um, yeah, I mean, what's your thinking on that now, especially uh, in light of your dissertation project? <laughs> uh, so, so I would say, yeah, Foothills uh, did a great job of being like a really healthy Bible teaching, invitational, attractional church. Yeah. Historically. And I go, that's great. Yeah. And if you lead one of those ministries, ser- seriously, God bless you. Make sure people are encountering the living God. Okay, so here, here's my here's my one exhortation. Yeah. Uh, if you're here and you like, if you've never asked your people, do you actually encounter God when we gather? And if you've never asked them, ask them. Yeah. And and you might you might be unbelievably encouraged. And and then you'd be inspired to go invite people, teach your people to invite people. Okay. Right. Like this is attractional, invitational. Step one, step two. Um, but actually attractive. Because if people are encountering God, that is the best. And then they should invite because God's doing something in your body. Yeah, and let's, okay, let's, so, let's, let's differentiate that from the other attractional, which is we have great coffee. We have a smoke machine. We have good yeah. lighting, a solid band. And uh, yeah. they're just going to have a really good, warm, welcoming experience. Uh, you're saying yeah. it's got to step up beyond that to an encounter with the living God. Yeah. And so, so here's the exhortation. If you pull your people, or if you just know it in yourself and you go, nah, nobody's encountering God here. We're just going through the motions. Yeah. Please, please, for the purposes and cause of Christ in our day, stop telling your people to invite people to church. Okay. If, if they are not experiencing God and you know, we just have this flat line, boring, it's not changing our lives. It's not compelling. Don't invite people to that. Jesus is the most compelling person who's ever lived, the son of God, he's alive, he's living, he's amazing. And go, I, we have to figure out what we're doing that is actually not facilitating an encounter yeah. with him. Fix that first, then invite people. Okay, so now let's talk about why we, why we got to move beyond that to missional and multiplicative. So uh, this actually, the research that I had uh, began from Capstone. So we, we had people encountering Christ in really profound ways yeah. at Capstone and now at Foothills. And one of the things I had presumed was this, that when people encounter Jesus in powerful, profound ways, when they feel really, really, really released from all the dumb decisions they've ever made, when I'm talking about forgiveness, when when people really feel that, I assume they would go tell others. Yeah. Uh, when somebody experiences Christ-healing anxiety, or even lifting depression. Now, I know there's medical stuff. I don't want, like all the caveats that you, yeah. you know and assume, I believe too. But when, when they experience a touch from heaven, you go, they're got to go tell people. And here's, here's what we found at Capstone. We've had all kinds of remarkable Jesus encounters. And, you, and then they didn't know how to talk about Jesus right. even after experiencing him. Right. Yeah. So how do they translate like, that experience? into spiritual conversations and witnessing. Yeah. yeah, and the denomination I'm a part of, we have this heritage that we just we just presumed you stuffed more of Jesus, more experience of Christ into people, a deeper, better, for better, more beautiful experience, then they'd go out naturally on mission and yeah. share the good news and, and invite other people to experience that right there in their own home, in their own community. It wasn't happening. And actually, uh, I pulled dozens of churches who were going through the exact same phenomenon where they were really, really experiencing the presence of Christ 
in the everyday lives of their people, and no one else was coming to faith in Christ. Yeah. So we were having healthier, happier Christians. Praise God. Yeah. And people who were stumbling around in the dark were still stumbling around in the dark. And Jesus didn't come for the righteous, but for sinners. So I, I started uh, studying it. And here was, here was basically my thesis, Rob. Hmm. I wonder, I wonder if a deeper experience of Jesus combined with training will actually enliven the people of God. So here's what's interesting. And, and by training, you mean evangelistic training? Uh, missional training. Missional training, so, yeah. So, so missional training uh, had five vectors that we observed. So we talked about indirect witness. So this is just about building relationships with people outside of faith so that they might sustain the weight of a gospel conversation. There yeah. was direct witness, uh, talking about both your testimony, what you've experienced in Christ, and who Jesus is. There was social concern, where our gospel has all kinds of societal concern. We wanted to measure, would people be involved more locally? Would they be better neighbors, better citizens? Would they pray for their nation, pray for their city, pray for their neighborhood more? Uh, Then we also studied uh, missional prayer as as another aspect. And then finally, the fifth one we studied, and there's no study like this that I could find on the planet where it studied the attitudinal position of believers towards sharing their faith. We studied boldness. Mm. That was the category we took. And so we looked at behavior and attitude towards missional behavior. And and here was the fascinating result. (laughs) When you train people to live on mission, the amazing part is this. For those who are Christians, the Spirit of God has already been stirring them to go out to be witnesses, to be ambassadors. Not everyone's an evangelist. Um, but everyone can be a witness. And we saw, so we, we did a study with a focus group of five different churches in five different contexts. So big churches, small churches, yeah, ur- urban, rural, suburban, small town, large city. And we took uh, 40 people through this mission training program. And we had them have some deep encounters with Jesus in prayer. And what we found was this. Uh, we saw a 15% growth in missional behavior in your average participant. Wow. Hmm. Now, for those of you who are listening, you know, 15%, that's not that much. Uh, here, here's what I need you to understand. Uh, 15% change is unbelievable. Imagine imagine this. Imagine you lost 15% body fat. Imagine if your body, you 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 might look amazing. Uh, you know, I'm hoping for that. I'm praying for that. God, give, yeah. give me 15% change. Uh, 15%, if you look at a day, represents a few hours a day of change. Uh, in the life of a believer, 15% change hmm. was significant. Hmm. Uh, I'll give you some, some fun data points. Uh, one of the biggest changes was a question. So we, we took a survey of this focus group before we had done anything. Then we ran them through four months of mission and spiritual renewal training to experience more of Jesus and be trained up for mission. And then we took 12 weeks off where we didn't have a single conversation with the focus group so that all of the excitement would just go away. Yeah. You know, if you've ever been to a conference, you go, the next day you're ready to take on the world. We didn't want that attitude. We wanted to see what had changed over the long haul. Hmm. So three months of no, no communication at all. Then we invited them to take this exact same survey about missional behavior again. And, and that's when we found the 15% change. Hmm. And here, here was one of the funnest ones. There was a question on there that said this. In the past two years, 
I've led somebody to faith in Christ. Hmm. And at the beginning of our survey, that, that score was quite low. By the end, it had increased 25%. Wow. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I had this one beautiful email from a lady named Belinda. She lived in a rural Alberta town. And she said, she emailed me. It was the cutest email. It's the best email I think I've ever received. Hmm. And it said this. Hey, Kyle, not sure if you remember me. I got it six months after we had wrapped up the project. All the, all the interviews are done. And she said, it's Belinda, part of the mission training program. I just wanted to let you know, I know who my mission field is. Hmm. It's a lady named Nancy. Belinda, you, you need to know, is Belinda was in her 70s when she took part in this. And so you know, she's been walking with Jesus for a long time. And as far as I'm aware, never led anybody to faith in Christ. She said, Nancy's my mission field. Hmm. We we have her health link button. She's my neighbor. We help her. She's in her 80s. And then she said, something happened with Nancy. I got my friends and we started praying because that's one of the tools we learned to pray. Just pray that people would come to Christ. She was praying with her friends. She had a little triad of people that they were working together in community on mission together. They started praying for Nancy. And then Belinda said, then one day Nancy invited me over and we started talking about church. And Nancy told me she was done with all of that. And then Belinda said, a couple weeks later, though, we were really praying for Nancy. And Nancy had to go into the hospital and came home for palliative care. Hmm. She invited me over. See, when, when we serve and love people, we get access in Jesus' name. And so Nancy said, I went over and we talked about Jesus. She wanted to hear all about him. And Nancy gave her life to Christ. Over the next few weeks, Belinda wrote, I met with Nancy several times. We read the Bible together. We prayed together. We talked all about heaven. And then on the final day of Nancy's life, I got invited over to say last prayers. We sang Psalm 23 together. And then she died. Hmm. Linda then said, so Kyle, I just want to thank you for training me. Hmm. I want to thank you for training me. And here, here's the amazing part. Nancy, her friend Nancy, when she closed her eyes and took her final breath, when she opened them, she met Jesus. What was motivating me was this. We had all these people, myself included, who experienced the goodness of Christ. And so many people, including myself, we had no tools on how to share faith, yeah. on how to live life on mission. And... and and, you know, we put people in this really unenviable position as church leaders and ministry leaders and leaders in the kingdom when we go, you've got to be sharing your faith, but don't equip them. Because here's what we're doing. people. One of people's most treasured possessions is their relationships, their friendships, their family. And we ask them to go do something that we've never trained them to do in hopes that it might work. So in, yeah. in some ways, I, I use this silly analogy. I go, you ever, you ever unicycle, Rob? I, I've never unicycled in my life, and I don't plan to. Try. No, no, but but I also wouldn't try because I'd have no idea how to do it, and so I would certainly never do it in public. In some ways, what we ask our people to do is we say, "Hey, why don't you go unicycle in front of your friends and family for the very first time? No training, no experience, just go do it." You experienced Jesus, right? But what we found was this: when you train people on how to share their faith in Christ. They do it, and we saw out of that group, I think we saw something like eight or nine people come to faith in Christ. 
in just a short little window. I have no idea what the long-term ramifications will be. So that, that was the dissertation project. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. You know, I, and you're not the only one who's saying this. I mean, like there, others have said, I mean, there is a strong correlation, undeniable correlation between training people for evangelism and people actually doing evangelism. It's you're, you're exactly right. I mean, like, Training creates competency, competency creates confidence, and confidence leads to actually doing it, you know? So, I mean, it, you, it's so important. I, I was reading a book by Steve Addison. I don't know if you've read it, any of Steve Addison's works, you know, yeah. in pioneering movements and uh, right. whatnot. And, and he's, his results are exactly the same, is, is that we, if we're going to get people to be on mission and to, to go out, they actually have to be trained. You, you can't avoid that. Um, so, yeah. so here's the challenge. Um, so... A lot of pastors don't feel equipped to do evangelism. And uh, how then can they train their congregations to to be missional? Any suggestions? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to give a few tools. Uh, this is normally like where you plug a book or a conference or something, and you're like, hey, pay me some money and, and I can help you. I just want to help you. So here, here's the uh, here's a few ones. I'm going to give you some some really 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 simple tools that are super transferable. They're yeah. so transferable that now people are teaching me my tools again, which is okay. hilarious. I've been using them for a couple of years. So, and so give it to us rapid fire. Okay, rapid fire. Number one is this: uh, in in prayer, ask Jesus every day, who do you want me to nudge towards the kingdom, and mm-hmm. how do you want me to do it? Okay. And allow the mind of Christ, First Corinthians two to actually creatively come up with names and people and then obey. Okay. Um, so that that's one. I can tell you a story, but we're, we're low on time. So I'll just, yeah. that's one. And you, you know, you say that, that won't change the world. You go, oh, that'll change the world. Oh yeah. Because, sure. because if you can get 50 people, hundred people, a thousand people every day to take a step of obedience on mission for Christ, you'll change the world. Yeah. Uh, number two, uh, discern your own mission field. So this is rapid fire. Uh, yeah. Discern your mission field. So this is everything surrounds prayer and obedience to Christ. So pray, ask the Lord, Lord, what mission field do you have for me? Yeah. But here's how you can determine what your mission field might be. Your mission field could be the thing that you do routinely, repetitively with routine. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, r- r- routine, repeti- routine and repetition are the two. So yeah. here's what I mean by that. Uh, I my mission field is the gym I go to. I go to the same gym Monday through Friday every day that I am in Calgary. Every single day, same place. Uh, I go to the same Costco at the same time to the same line so that I can be with Sherry, the right. new fee who's new to Calgary, and I can have an interaction with her. Here's what's interesting. I start start developing relationships with people at Costco. At Costco, you're not supposed to develop relationships. You're supposed to like just navigate that place, make sure you don't run into old ladies and get your food yeah. and become more poor. Get your hot dog, get out the yeah, door. And, the, and then get out of there. Uh, I've become the pastor of my gym. People know that. Yeah. Sometimes people go, hey, I need to, I need to confess something, I think. These are people outside of faith because I'm there. Routine and repetition. Where could you develop routine and repetition locally over and over and over and then start praying who and how every day? And yeah. then God will start to use that. Uh, third one, simple prayer tool is, is this. And I said, I use my cell phone for this uh, every day. In about 45 minutes, I'm going to get an alert. 
to pray for three of my friends. I pray for them for three minutes. Simple, 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 three for three. But you start praying and you go, okay, I'm praying for my friend James. I pray for him for one minute. I ask that God would open his eyes. I pray for his well-being. I, I pray all kinds of prayers about his life, about his soul, about his eternal destiny. Um, so three for three, who and how, develop a mission field. Uh, those three tools will get you yeah. started really well. Final tool mm -hmm. is this. If you get somebody who's spiritually curious, this, this is all old school. None of this is new. Yeah. I just hope it's helpful. Um, you start reading the Bible with somebody who's spiritually curious. Mm -hmm. Alpha courses are wonderful, but there's nothing better than saying, hey, I'll read the Bible with you, and we'll meet for coffee. We'll meet for a cappuccino, a crepe, whatever it is. Could be a meal, could be at a home. Mm -hmm. But I, I did this. This is how I uh, we saw the first person at Capstone come to faith in Christ. We started reading the book of John together, and we worked by every every couple of weeks we'd meet we'd read like two or three chapters i allowed him to ask any questions he had i allowed him to say i don't believe this part that was a really yeah. important question for him what what's really hard for you to believe and it was interesting over the span of about three months this guy i'll call him brad he said i believe jesus is real and he started actually repenting of sin before he had given his life to christ which is really fascinating he came to me he said kyle i've been reading this bible now for like 12 weeks. But here, here's the question I really have. How do I stop sleeping with my girlfriend? Because I think that's the right thing to do. I get no church background, atheist background. Yeah, yeah. Wild question. So those are four tools. There are many more, but that will be a great start. Uh, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll throw yeah. one more out there. Here's a classic one. In church planting assessments, they do this horrible thing that every Christian should go through. It's horrible. They, they do this. With a friend, they go, I want you to pretend that this is, you know, with, with a partner, they go, I want you to pretend that your partner is a friend who wants to have what you have, who wants to give mm -hmm. their life to Christ. Yeah. So, so they've come in saying, hey, I, I, wanna, I wanna figure out this Jesus thing. I wanna be, be saved. I wanna be part of God's family. And then you, Kyle, you have to lead them to Christ in a conversation, you got eight minutes, go. Yeah. And then you receive feedback. Here, here's what's happened. You have all these people who are like, I'm going to go live on mission for Jesus, all these church planters, all these radical missionaries locally. Yeah. So many of them get terrified. So many of us did a terrible job. I felt so silly the first time I ever did that because I'd never been trained. I'd never been trained to personally share the gospel with the people I love most. Yeah. And so that's the fifth tool. If you can grab a friend and go, hey, let's get better at this. Let's drill this until you go, that's a good testimony, or that's a good gospel presentation, or, or that's really helpful. Once you do that, God opens all kinds of doors. Uh, we use this silly language. My son's a wrestler. He wears a singlet. And uh, here's, here's a, an old wrestling truism. Drillers are killers. Drillers right. are killers. What you drill, you'll be able to do really effectively. Yeah. And unfortunately, we have not drilled sharing the faith, living on mission, creating a mission field, being good neighbors. And so that that's that's a handful of tools five yeah, of them, no, that great. people can use. You know, and, and, and I think you're right. That repetition creates it. Well, practice, you know, you, you how many hours do you practice before you perform in anything else mm -hmm. in life? 
So why would you not practice on one of the most important conversations that you could ever have with somebody, which is to share share Christ with them? Uh, Kyle, our time is almost done. What encouragement would you give to our Canadian pastors who are listening today? Give us a final thought. There's a final thought. There are more men, there are more women, there are more children who are desperate for an encounter with Jesus Christ than you Mm -hmm. and I could possibly imagine. And they're confused, and they've been indoctrinated by worldly cultural messages, but they're desperate. So a lot of people will mourn the decline of the church in Canada and here, here's the encouraging word, I hope, that for every leader who's listening to this, you need to know that God placed you and I, he placed us in this time, in this place, in this season, observing the decline of the church in Canada. And he did it in hopes that we would partner with him to see a great reversal and perhaps God willing, a renewal and revival of true mm-hmm. biblical faith in our time. He did not put us here so that we could steward the decline of the church and turn off the spiritual lights in our country. He called us to be men and women of courage and to stand for the goodness and truth and beauty of the gospel in our time. And and as somebody who for years and years and years never led anybody to faith in Jesus and who wouldn't call himself an evangelist, here's what I promise you. The harvest is right out there, and Jesus wants you to set up a handshake between him and another person so that they might enter his family forever. Mm-hmm. You can do this. God loves you, and he believes in you. We're his only choice to reach the nation. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Good word, brother. Good word. Well, hey, thanks for uh, joining us on Church in the North. Uh, I hope that uh, maybe we'll have you back on here again in the future. I'd love it. Yeah, let me know. Yeah. How can people get a hold of you uh, if they want to contact you? I, I am fairly inactive on social media. However, I do get all of the messages and respond to them. So you can look me up uh Kyle, K-Y-L-E, Harnett, H-A-R-N-E-T-T. You can find me on Facebook, uh, Instagram. You can also um, search me up on our website, myfoothills.ca, and send me an email. would love to touch base with anybody who, who might need some more help or a further debrief on this. Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot, brother. Thanks, Rob. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Church of the North podcast, a production of Briarcrest College and Seminary. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with other ministry leaders. 